I'm American. As much as I, my parents were born, or grandparents or great-grandparents were born in Mexico, I mean, I was born in America as an inner-city kid in Houston, Texas. I'm, I'm American, whatever you want to call that. But America's a melting pot. It's a lot of things. It's black kids, it's white kids, it's Mexican kids, it's Japanese kids. It's American. This is United States of Race, personal stories of how our earliest memories determine a lifetime of relationships. Each episode features one guest sharing their experiences with race. Keeping these episodes anonymous lets our guests share the real, uninhibited stories of their life, and it gives us the chance to listen without prejudice. I'm your host, D.B. Crema. Today, we're joined by Nick, who's been playing rock and roll all his life. But that hasn't stopped people from typecasting him and his music based on their own assumptions. So tell me about your experience with race. I don't think I've ever experienced maybe racism or cultural profiling via my skin color. I, I'm light-skinned. My family's pretty light-skinned for being Mexican. And and definitely for being Tex-Mex, like most Tex-Mex are darker in skin you know, complexion. So we've always gotten the get-out-of-jail-free pass hmm. that people probably don't judge us or aren't as quick to judge just because they see us. Maybe if they hear our last name, then they might have thoughts or ideas, whatever goes through the head of someone that racially profiles people. And I think I've run into that even with my my work as a as an artist and having a latino name i mean i have had people come up to me and be like oh we thought it was going to be latin music just because the name of the group is buenos dias which is my last name this this one one instance really comes to mind i was playing this really nice club and it's like a listening dinner club so you, mm. you sit and you drink and eat while the show's going on and um after i played there specifically this lady came up to me and she had written a note I don't really remember exactly what it said anymore, but it, she'd written a note and was just like, you're holding yourself back by having a Latino name as your band name because your music isn't obviously Latin anything, you know? And and I was like, why would you think that? That's, to me, that's just like, well, you're just you're just judging a book by its cover. Right. Without having any knowledge, without researching anything or anything, because if you did one ounce of research and just listened to a song online, it's all rock and roll. There's not one lyric in Spanish or anything. But um, in her eyes, I'm not succeeding maybe where she thinks I could get. But the reality is like I don't, I'm doing fine without those gigs or the extra things that might come because I just anglicize my name for your comfort level. You're holding your music career back by using your own name. Right. And it which, is right. It's my own name. Right. It means a play on the name, but it's my name. Which is then telling you that by using your own name, which happens to be Latino, there is only one genre of music that you should yeah. be playing and, right. and can be categorized within. Right. Um, huh. Okay. So then here's the flip side. I don't have any place in the world of Latin music. Like... None of my lyrics are in Spanish. There's no Latin rhythms in my music. So the funny thing is that it's like these people that think my name uh, embodies this certain style of music. It's like, but then you put my band in the categories of Latin music where, which this, this is what this audience member was thinking. It's like, 
yeah, I'm not going to get any Latin Grammy awards. I'm not going to have like Latin producers coming to want to produce my music. I've hung out with with people in that world and they love what I do. And I think they think it's super cool because there aren't a lot of Latin rock and rollers either right. in America. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, there are three that I can off the top of my head think of. Me, Santana, and Los Lobos. Aside from that, it's like there really isn't. And, and actually, those bands, though, incorporate Latin rhythms in their music still. And I don't. So it's like, I mean, I play rock and roll, man. Like, who cares what the name is? It's right. Like, you know. Your band name is rather witty. It's really witty, isn't it? Yeah. I'm, I I'm love very that impressed. name. My, my best, one of my best friends in New York when I lived in Brooklyn, he coined that at some point. And I, the light bulb went off. Yeah. I said, that is brilliant. I'm taking that. And he said, you should. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. Yeah. But also... So if you're Polish and you choose to incorporate your po- some aspect of your Polish name into your American band, should you only be playing the polka? Like, what does that mean? What is that even? What is that even? You're right. I mean, it exists because that's how people sell things, which really goes to the essence of, of America, which is just capitalism and, you know, trying to move product. And so that's probably where the confusion comes in. It's like, I don't know what to do with this. And it's like, yeah, you don't really need to know what to do with it. It's just good. Just right. let it be good, you know? Right. Stop thinking about that it has to fit in this box that you're going to sell, you know? We're such a, we're such a culture of, of boxes and like fitting it into this thing so that I understand it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's what I say when people ask me, you know, what is the style of music that we play? And I said, well, you know what, man? I've lived all over the country for over 15, 18 years. And when I came home to Texas and put this project together it was it's an embodiment of all of this life experience and all this culture and this gumbo of you know these awesome american cities where i went to like not only be a musician in those towns but really really learn the local ways and local culture of those great cities because to me that's the essence of great you know regionally indigenous music is like there's a reason New Orleans music is amazing. Mm-hmm. And it only comes from New Orleans. Same thing in New York City with the style of pop and, you know, more commercialized music. It's the reason that it comes from there, you know. So, yeah, why do you want to pigeonhole it to be this one thing when it's this kind of beautiful cornucopia of just American music? And, you know, being polite and being an optimist is that uh, maybe that, I mean, yes, on the service, that woman was, that was a racist comment. In hindsight, it's no different than, you know, anyone that's like, approached me and said you know you're holding yourself back Mm -hmm. they just want the best for me i get that that's i think where they're coming from more than being racist Mm -hmm. even though that is racist Mm -hmm. you know which is funny because i i would see it the exact opposite in Uh terms of not holding yourself back being an american rocker is awesome but also there are are, there's no shortage of musicians and artists out there so Mm -hmm. if you have something that sets you apart not only in your sound but also in your image and that includes of course your band name right that can only help you not holding anything back right yeah i'm gonna do a pretty good job of pushing it forward but people people are the way they are yeah yeah Yeah. people don't want to hear they want to hear what they want to hear but they also want to be able to say what they want to say they want to say what they want to say I mean, there's a part of me that likes to forward think a little more. And mm-hmm. I, don't, I think we're humans. I don't care about cultural identity as much as maybe the next person. Hmm. Interesting. And maybe that's because of how I was raised. You know, like, I mean, I was raised in a full Mexican home, um, but I went to school with nothing but, you know, pretty much Anglo kids. So my upbringing as a kid, oh, most of the time, because, you know, you spend most of your time in school and around your friends was around, you know, white people. Yeah. So maybe that has to do with 
kind of blurring that line more for me. Right. I remember being in seventh grade at this, you know, really ritzy, you know, private school that I was fortunate enough to go to. But then being fortunate enough to go to the school, I mean, I was the only Mexican kid in the high school. And I only went to school there from seventh grade to 12th grade. So I had experience in public school and some other schools um, at a younger age. And I mean, the public schools were a total mix of kids, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, poor kids, rich kids, black kids, white kids, Mexicans, whatever, you know. Um, and this school itself is like, for the most part, it was white. And also like, it's in this really, really wealthy neighborhood in, in Houston called River Oaks. I didn't live in that neighborhood. We lived on the other side of town in the predominantly like lower middle class Mexican neighborhood where my mom grew up. And so every day I was like, I would go to this rich neighborhood and, you know, this beautiful environment to learn, which again, amazing. But then I would shuffle back to the other side of town and it's like we lived in a very modest two and a half bedroom house with a mom and three kids and a mom that worked until 1130 at night sometimes. So my reality was this serious like split of like going to this really comfortable great environment to be safe and learn and like be pushed you know intellectually and personally but then always every every day reminded of where that's not your reality though you Mm -hmm. know maybe you can get there if you play by their rules and you learn their everything they want you to learn and dress the way they want you to dress and cut your hair the way they want you to cut your hair but then it's like i'm in you know back in the hood and it's like it was a really interesting split I don't think I paid attention to that as much as when I was in public school, but once I got to that school, which it was like 12, 13, was I think when I really became more aware of, of the racial division via spending time in those two di- way different worlds. Do you remember feeling resentful? I never felt resentful. Um, I don't think there was time to feel resentful. I mean, this my schedule was so full. I mean, there were so many things to do. Iron your clothes, make your lunch, do your homework play sports which I did and then do it all every day um and I and I mean I loved my friends my friends were cool and you know there was the weirdness of like none of them were ever comfortable or their parents weren't comfortable of them coming to where I lived but I was always invited to like a number of kids houses and I spent a lot of weekends and at their houses and some even footed the bill and like brought me to Colorado on a summer vacation or like out into the hill country in Texas and I vacationed with their family at the river house and um yeah, I don't, I, I mean, really, I just, if I was resentful, I, w- I wouldn't have made it through it, mm. I, I don't think. And then also, I, I remember thinking, like, man, I don't want to live like this when I'm a grown-up, because I knew what else was out there already, and so it was more like, I got to do what I got to do to at least get close to that. I mean, I don't need a mansion in the richest neighborhood in Texas, but I could sure use a comfortable home and a clean environment and a safe environment to just exist in. It was, it's literally just about like, I mean, I've experienced living in the hood. It's not cool. It's unsafe. It's dark. It's like hungry. It's cold. It's hot. It's like all these things. It's like you live in a, in a prettier, safer place. It's like, it just kind of evens all that out. You aren't thinking about those things anymore, which allows you to do other things. Right. So, and I was, I mean, I was a fine student. It's like, I mean, I was already, had already discovered music. So it's like, I was distracted for sure. And especially in a, in a, college preparatory school like that it's like where the focus is academics so right. i'd already found something else that i really already knew what i wanted to do i didn't want to go to corporate america i didn't want to go get a law degree i didn't want to go to harvard funny enough that's what even played into my college um selection of the university it was like i only looked at music cities i li- looked at memphis i looked at chicago and i looked at austin and new orleans uh-huh. and i ended up with a tiny scholarship that i ended up losing because i was playing music and hanging out all night already anyways 
as a creative, as a artist, as a musician, do you um, feel like race ever influences or shows up in your music? You're playing American music, which mm-hmm. clearly draws on a history of primarily on a history of black music, Absolutely. black American music. Yeah. But I mean, I grew up playing blues and blues clubs in Houston. I mean, Houston has a really rich blues scene and a rich history um, of blues musicians that became some super well-known and, and some not. Mm-hmm. So no, I mean, I grew up playing black music. Yeah. And there's still that element and undertone to what I do. And funny enough, like I've written a song and it's 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 about, um, I mean, um, um, police brutality song, you know. It's um, I've written songs about you know, black profiling. I actually have a couple songs written about um, Mexican women that, you know, uh, in NAFTA opened up the, you know, you know, for there to be factories on the borders. And then these Mexican women were being busted in from the mountains and the hills, you know, further away in Mexico. And they would go work for 14 hours a day and then bus back home. And some of them would get kidnapped and raped and dumped in the desert and never found and never heard from again, like endless names, countless names. And nobody even talks about this. I've written songs about that, you know? So like, I mean, I touch on racial motives. I think more it has to do with, um, to me, it's more about human targeting and people, innocent people that are just targeted and murdered or killed and then not even thought twice about, Mm -hmm. which is all still partially racial, you know? Right. I mean, I'm not writing about white people getting dumped in the desert. Are white people discriminated against? Do white people experience race-based discrimination? I think white people probably, I would uh, step on a, out on a limb here and say that I would imagine white people faced more classism than racism. I mean, I don't know. I'm not white. <laughs> I think as a white person hearing the, the focus, the current focus on Black Lives Matter, really the biggest concern in your mind is that all lives matter. What about your needs? It overlooks their challenges. Yeah. It, it juxtaposes these two things as kind of as um, mutually exclusive with one or the other. Yeah. I really, you know, I mean, I, I've thought about the Black Lives Matter slogan. And um, I mean, yes, Black Lives Matter. It's the truth. There's, there's not taking anything away from that that's not making that any less of a reality. But just like any label... Black Lives Matter, the way it's written, just like a lady thinks Buenos Dias is Latin music, it means you're excluding everyone else and it's just black people. And I can imagine that's why some white people have been offended, but it's not about white people. It's really, that's about like acknowledging that black people have had it harder than anyone else. And we're not saying you haven't had it hard, but right now this is really important because like black people are just getting killed in the street. <laughs> white people typically aren't prejudiced against. And I mean, nothing is black and white. That's not a black and white statement to say that there hasn't been a white person that has been racially profiled, mm-hmm. maybe in a black neighborhood. Or that's a tough. That's a, I think that's a tough place to be. I felt that Black Lives Matter. I'm like, hey, but where are all the brown Mexicans, man? Like we we don't get jobs and we get shit on and like we work fifty hours a day picking oranges and cleaning dishes and bus stations. And I'm not saying that, like we need to be part of this movement, but it's just like. Will there ever be a Brown Lives Matter movement? Will there ever be a recognition of the entire like brown history that's just been wiped off the face of the planet because all these Spanish conquistadors and people from Europe came to South America and just decided to like take what they wanted just like everyone did in America too? And it's like, there's a lot of America, you know? Yeah. And there's a lot more than just what happens in the United States that doesn't even get discussed, you know? So, I mean, I support bringing racial awareness to the surface more for black people. I completely support that. 
there's so many levels of it, you know, and yeah. it goes back so far, you know. Black people can only play R&B and hip-hop, like, taking it back to music, you know. It's right. just like, it's like I bet there's a ton of black musicians out there that love rock and roll music and want to go rock out and do this and that. And they probably don't feel comfortable doing it. But these are issues about, you know, systemic injustice. Absolutely. How do we grapple with that, even from a, an art, artistic level? Artistic level and a family level, you know, I mean, a lot of systemic racism and systemic injustices stems from some kind of not getting taught right at home. Something, some, some, something didn't get told to someone and passed down the line, you know. Well. And not all the time, but that's part of it. I would say something got passed down. I think we're or did all, get, yeah, right. or something does get passed down that shouldn't have been passed down. You know, like I try to imagine what would America look like moving forward if we no longer taught our children about race. At all, you mean? At all. Like, there's no black people. There's no. There's people. Is that what you mean? Yeah, I mean. I mean that's utopia. From a science. <laughs> good, good. Have at it. I would love to see that more than anything. You know. Um. Because it's stupid. It doesn't matter what skin color you are. You know? Why does it matter to people so much? I think we're always going to find something to try to hold power over each other. If it weren't race. Yeah, it would be something else. Probably. I mean, I think that's... I think it's more just human nature, you know? I mean, humans have fought over whatever forever. There's just this inner greed for lack of a better word or you know thinking of the right word of like wanting more and more and more and at the expense of our other fellow humans and not everyone is like this obviously there's some great humans but where racism lies again is like a thing i think just pushing people down so that some other people can get ahead you know and get more of this stuff that we've all created for ourselves this this world this cars and things you know material material world consumer world but how do you take that out of the equation? I mean, that's human. Greed is human. You know, you would have to address human desire and human greed, I think, to address racism. Thanks for listening to United States of Race. This podcast was produced by me, your host, D.B. Crema. And our artwork is designed by Ali Creative. If you love great storytelling, go ahead and subscribe to United States of Race on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And show us some love by rating and writing a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. You see, Podchaser.com is the world's most comprehensive podcast database. So rating and writing a review there helps us get the message out and helps other listeners discover this amazing show. And you can also share this podcast with your friends and anyone who believes in the power of building connection through sharing personal stories. You can also follow us on Instagram at all one word, United States of Race. And as always, if you, yes you, have a compelling story to share and would like to be featured on an upcoming episode, send us a message at United States of Race at gmail.com. Until next time.